Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 105. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and Merry Christmas. I hope you are having an amazing week. So before we get an opportunity to have our guest on the show, I just want to take this opportunity to wish you all a very very Merry Christmas. Hope you had a lovely day yesterday and you are just enjoying the Boxing Day, sometimes the Boxing Day calmness, where everything seems the energy has gone, the kids are off playing their toys, mum and dad are up there with their feet on, taking nice, relaxing breaths, enjoying a bit of what should we say, the holiday cheer, um, the leftovers and everything else. So I hope you have had a great time. But without further ado, let's tell you about this week's guest. So our guest this week is Matt Browning. Now, Matt is a podcast host, a master trainer of NLP and the best-selling author of a new book called The Firebox Principles, The Seven Drives That Fuel Every Entrepreneur. He speaks all over the world, from the US to Australia, filmed a movie with Brian Tracy and Bob Proctor, and consults with Fortune 100 companies such as US Bank, John McPhee, that's a founder of McPhee Antivirus, New York Life, the YMCA, and others. Matt is an avid motorcycle rider, church pastor, and rock climber. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here with you all the way across the pond. I know, I know. And even even though when we, before we hit the record button, we were talking about the fact that you have visited the UK recently. Yeah, in, in uh, just a few months ago, my wife and my seven-year-old son, Val, and I, we all went around for about three weeks. And we just cool. visited, uh, loved the UK. It was so beautiful. I was telling you, the weather isn't always amazing, but we went in <laughs> July, so it was pretty darn nice. Yeah, yeah. Believe yeah. me, we've we got no idea on the weather. We just look at the weather forecast and go, yeah, it's going to rain. And then we just prepare <laughs> for that, and then we're fine. It's not like Do you even look at a forecast? <laughs> no, there's no point. We look at the rain radar and see if we can dodge the splurge that tells us it's going to be rain, and that's about it, really. I will say the culture was just absolutely phenomenal. You know, growing up in California, we, you know, the oldest things we have are about 150 years old, and that's ancient. So just to walk yeah. around the castles and the culture and the it was it was unbelievable. So love love the countryside out there, my friend. Cool, cool. So let's get dived in. Can you give us a bit of a backstory that's uh, of your journey and what's brought you to this point today? If, if I shortened up the my entire life's mission, it would be early on, I had a drive to be significant. I wanted to figure out, you know, I didn't really feel very significant as a person. I was a baby of three. My brother, uh, my older brother got in trouble a lot. My older sister was an overachiever. And I was just kind of the kid that went along with things. And very quickly, I learned how to get successful. I built a real estate business by 21. I bought my first house at 19. And by 25, I was a self-made millionaire uh, with $5 million in property. And I was just kind of crushing it, quote unquote, in that world of finance. And I felt like I was getting important, but then I made the biggest mistake of my life. I went to a seminar with Tony Robbins, guy with the big teeth, big hands, huge head. And I, I love Tony dearly. He's, he was my first major mentor. And, you know, I watched him intervening and working with people and looking at what drives people under the surface, what makes people tick. And I'd never asked that before. And I just, I fell in love with the concept of being able to help someone to pivot and change direction when they get their deep motivational drives. So I went off the deep end, man. I, I, I closed my business. I got rid of my properties and I became a life coach. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> I made about $900 uh, in two years being a life coach but I'd never felt more alive in my life. That was 12 years ago. And you know, there, there was this pivotal moment when I put on my very first seminar, Big Success. There were six people there. Two of them were my parents. And, uh, <laughs> and at the end, I just thought, man, uh, can I, I don't wanna do this. I, I did, did I really make an impact? Did I really help somebody change the trajectory of their life? And then one girl came up to me. Her name was Kay. I share the story often. She's a Japanese exchange student. And she came up. I'd known her for a couple of years. And she basically said that she had made this new decision because of the seminar I did. And she decided to change her relationship status. And from that moment, everything changed for her. And she reached up and she was like, thank you so much. And she had this tear in her eye. And I'm like, awesome. So she reached out and hugs me and I hug her back. And then she crying and now I'm crying. And I'm, I'm having this moment. 
And that was the moment, you know, that was 12 years ago. And in that moment, I said, I'm, I'm never going to do anything different. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. This is what matters. Um, helping someone pivot by understanding the deep drives of humanity. And I just dedicated the rest of my life to it. And, and since then, I've been super blessed. I've shared this message on in 18 cities and four countries around the world. Uh, put on 200 plus multi-day workshops and seminars. Worked with thousands upon thousands of people been all over TV and radio and just like the things just keep happening, but it's a result of getting clear on that one message and that one purpose and just going after it. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. You and I have got a lot of common. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of this show is about helping people live the exceptional life. And I think is, you know, once you understand those, those deep down drivers, it's amazing the switches that can flick and the magic moments you can see in those eyes when they actually get that realization. There's nothing more fulfilling and nothing cooler in life. It's it, it's like, like a parent who loves parenting and they fall in love with those magic moments when there's the flicker recognition in the kid's eyes and they go, oh, first steps. And it's like that with every other human when you get to engage and you and you get to be this pivotal resource in someone's life to help them to shift from one directional path to another. And that's really what you know, what I do with neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, or success coaching, or life coaching, or whatever you want to call it, whatever modality someone uses, that's really what we do at the core, is helping pivot pathways when it seems impossible. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Now, you've written um, the book called The Firebox Principles, The Seven Drives That Fuel Every Entrepreneur. And I am extremely interested in your um, the seven drives. Can we go into some more detail on that? Absolutely easy to do. You know, when I was, when I was in kindergarten, quick story, I'm six years old and I remember this vividly, Jeff, I'm standing behind this big Oak tree and, uh, you know, I'm looking at all these kids playing and I thought, gosh, I don't, I don't, I don't belong there. Like I, I saw how easily they played together, but I just felt like I couldn't do that. And that feeling of being on the outside looking in, you know, hiding behind the tree, metaphorically, literally in this case, you know, followed me all through school. And sure, I had friends here and there, but really my whole life, I never felt like I fit in, I belonged, and I always felt like I was on the outside of a party looking in. And I don't know if anyone relates to that, but I find in the entrepreneur world, a lot of us do. And I never felt like I fit in until I started my first business at 22. That was the first time that I the I had a, a pivot where I was the one that brought the vision rather than trying to to merge into another community's vision. I brought the vision. And then people began to rally around the vision I was creating. And the cool thing was it wasn't really about me, but as I look back, that was the time at 22 I thought, gosh, this is the first time I feel like I'm really, really a part of something. And that was the first seed of this book. And I started looking at, well, why do different entrepreneurs, visionaries, innovators, creators, artists, you name it. Why do we create the things we create? And when I began looking, I looked at so many different trailblazers and visionary stories, past and present, including my own. And I, and I started realizing there were only so many patterns as to the motivation of why we created something. And I landed on there seven different drives. And we can, of course, get into that. But there's seven different drives that if you go into any entrepreneur, there's only so many reasons why they did what they did. And you can have different drives for different goals or different businesses or organizations. It's not a personality profile. I should mention that in the beginning. It's not about, you know, DISC or Myers-Briggs or something like that. You know, who am I? It's about what's my motivation in this particular enterprise? And then how can I come out in front of that, be congruent with it, rally people around it, and, and move forward and get momentum because I know what it is? Yeah. Right. Okay. So for, cause that's an interesting one as well. Cause I remember the first, the first time I really went, I want to be significant. And I, I was basically my, my journey was I was supposed to be, I was supposed to work in the family business that didn't work out at all. Um, but then I remember my in-laws, my in-laws, my a cousin giving me a, um, a Tony Robbins book and me listening to it while I was sitting on a train for five hours every other week. And it, all of a sudden, there was just thing that went, okay, I can, I can see what I want to do. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get there, but it's that powerful force behind you, isn't it? This, to see beyond what necessarily other people can't see, but you have a deep-rooted belief that you can do that. 
it's the invisible forces that shape the visible reality in our lives. And the invisible forces are our motivational drives. What causes one person to run towards the lion and fight and one person causes it to run into the house? Why does one person love oysters and one person hates oysters? It's silly examples, but all around our world, we look and we see that our whole reality is shaped by these invisible forces. So to me, there's nothing more important. I mean nothing more important than understanding what those are and bringing them to the surface. And again, if you're running a business, let's say, or, or it can be a nonprofit or a ministry or your family, to get in touch with the invisible motivational forces, what I call the fire drives, and get them up to the surface and share them with the team or your family around you is amazing because one of two things is going to happen. Either you realize that you're off course, right? It's like you go, wait a minute, this is my motivational drive. This is my story. This is why we're doing this. But then you look at the reality and think that doesn't match. If we're like, for instance, one of the drives is contribution and it's all about the people. So if the reason why you started your business was because you saw kids on the streets with no shoes, like Blake Mikowski at Tom's Shoes, and you wanted, you know, in Argentina, and you wanted kids to have shoes. And what if 10 years down the road, they look at their company and think, wait a minute, we're not even doing much work with the kids. Now they are, which is phenomenal. But what if you weren't? They would, they would probably have one of those, you know, quote unquote, come to Jesus meetings where they say, wait a second, wait a second. We started it for this reason. But now we've gotten off track. So they bring their fire drive full force forward and say, come on, team, let's get back to the basics of why we're here in the first place. The other option is maybe you are on track, but you don't know how to communicate that well. So when you get in touch with what that real drive is, the invisible fire drive, you can then share that and wave the flag with pride and show that to your team and your family around you so they can all rally around and help you to continue to achieve it. You get a lot faster results, a lot more productive, a lot more loyalty. People stick with you, less turnover, customers buy in, you build your tribe. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I always have this conversation with people and we sit down, you know, whatever size group I speak to and I'll go, how many people have got an I, that, that vision, that idea of what they want to do even for the next year or five years? And it's crazy how many people don't put the hand up. But yeah, you know, it's the cliche is how many people have planned their summer holidays and everyone will put the hand up. And it, it just astounds me that people don't necessarily put that effort in to actually create what it is that they want to do with their lives. And how important is it to simply just stop and take a minute? And, you know, it's funny is in the book, my opening chapter is this is your pit stop. Uh, in fact, no, it's, it's on the inside jacket. This is your pit stop. And, and basically I say something, I'm, I'll paraphrase the book, but I say, you know, if you're one of these people who is a trailblazer, an innovator, you, you have a vision and maybe you're not clear on what it is, or maybe you're so busy doing the thing that you think you're supposed to do that you haven't had time to stop and breathe. This is your pit stop, like a racer to stop to look at what you're doing, to reassess why you're doing it, and then get back out on the track, but make sure you're going the right direction. And you know, books, whether it's mine or, or other books like that, are great excuses to take a pit stop and stop and reassess why are we doing what we're doing, to make sure you're on a track. That's really, really good. So, so we've got contribution. What is, what is another one that um, you can share with the, the listeners? Well, how about this? I'll, I'll quickly pop through the seven and then you tell me what's most interesting to you and I can expand cool. on one or two of them. I'm sure bring, we'll have time for that. Bring it on. Yes, go on. Bring it on. <laughs> All right, here we go, Jeff. Here we go. So we have the significance drive, which the, and every one of these I give a tagline to. So the significance drive, the tagline is something to prove. And this is usually someone who, whether they grew up in the shadow of somebody great or they grew up uh, with someone holding them down and saying they weren't good enough. The significance drive, usually someone creates something because they want to prove themselves to the world or to someone individually. The artisan drive, drive number two, is because it's beautiful. This is someone who has art inside them, whether it's um, Steve Jobs creating you know, the most beautiful typeset or computers or phones, or it's uh, Warren Buffett who wants to create the game of money and he, loved, he fell in love with that, uh, or it's a, a painter, a sculptor, a musician because it's beautiful. Drive three is the world impact drive. This is uh, my dent in the universe. And I'd also assign Steve Jobs would be probably number one world impact drive. His secondary would have been artisan drive. 
But truly what fuels a man like that or an Elon Musk or someone in, in that area is what's the legacy? What am I creating here? Am I changing the trajectory of Spaceship Earth, as Bucky Fuller said so well? Um, I, I want to change that. I want to be a rudder on the ship. I want to make sure something new happens because of me. Then there's contribution drive. It's all about the people. So this is where you fall in love with either the people or, or it can be animals or it can be a certain area. Um, and, and you think, God, I just want to make a difference in these people's lives or in this area of life. Uh, it could be, you know, so you start like a new parenting blog or, or, or a, a kid's toy company and you want to make a difference in the way kids interact with toys. Like a Melissa and Doug is a good example of that. They said there's too many bells and whistles and battery operated everything and we're overstimulating kids. They cared about the kids and they wanted to make a difference for the kids growing up and they made different educational uh, and, and powerful toys. Then there's a spiritual drive because my creator said so. And this is very true all through history. You'll find people who create a movement of some kind or a vision. And it's simply because God, as they understand him, said this is what you should do. And whether it makes sense or it doesn't, they follow through and go do it. So this can be someone like a Mother Teresa who said, you know, God charged me to go live with the poor and minister amongst them. To do anything else would have been to break the faith, was her quote. And, and it tells you that as much as Mother Teresa, like she loved people, she really loved her God so much that she went and did whatever he said to do. And, and, and that's certainly great. That fuels people in the ministries. But it can also fuel people outside of that. Like uh, Chip and Joanna Gaines, I think, are a good example. The HGTV stars, probably the, the most famous house innovators on the planet right now. And, you know, when, when you read into some of their books and, and listen to interviews, you realize that what they're really doing, and they give credit to, to God, they'll say, you know, we're following along his plan. And when God, you know, said you need to focus on your family again or focus on the farm, they decided to end the TV series that was the most popular show on the entire network. But at the peak, they said, nah, I think we're done because God's moving us in another direction. So you can always tell an entrepreneur that's spirit driven. And then last two were Thrive Drive. The Thrive Drive is to improve my station in life. So some of this is the Lamborghinis and the mansions and the yachts. But it's also equally the same drive when you have maybe a refugee who came from another country with $2 and they came to New York City and they said, we're going to have a better life for me and my family. So if you look at your current station in life and say, I need to make this better, I need to improve this for me and my family or me and the future generations, whether it's coming from poverty to something or from something to having everything, it's the same drive in and of itself. And then the last one is probably my favorite, the Avenger Drive. And the Avenger Drive is to bring justice. Now, this one is the kind of people that either want to take revenge on someone or something. And it sounds crazy, but it's so prevalent. It's so prevalent. Or they're angry about a situation and they want to make a wrong and turn it right. And what fuels them to create something is the Avenger drive. There's more companies than you can shake a stick at that are founded and became successful due to that drive. So those are the seven as a as kind of an overview. Right. And okay. You can jump so, into wherever you want. Yeah. So I have a couple of questions. Can you have more? Can you do you have one dominant one, or do you tend to? Is there one that? Um, or can or do you just have multiple, multiple Great. ones that push you in? Yeah, great question. So the first thing to remember too is that I said it earlier just to – I want to re-clarify because it's, it's so important. These aren't personality traits. So it's, it's not, oh, well, I'm the Avenger Drive person. W what they're specifically connected to is context in life. So if you look at – you know, because I started a real estate business. I started a, a seminar, NLP training, coaching business. I've started an association. Um, I also uh, lead in our local church and speak and teach, and, and my wife and I are active in ministry. I've also, you know, been part of school systems. As you know, there's, there's different things we do in life, and if you look at each context, you might find that there's one drive fueling one thing and another drive fueling another. So you can have different drives in different contexts, and then certainly there's usually a primary drive and then a secondary drive. You could actually order them. I even created, this is crazy, but I created a quiz called the Firebox Quiz. And if you take the quiz, it's free. So you can get it at fireboxbook.com. But if you get the quiz, um, I give it to companies to do. And what's fun with a company is you have every employee and team member take the quiz. 
in relationship to why what they think is driving the enterprise. And it's fascinating to get the answers back to, you know, if all the, you know, 80% of your team members think that it's significance drive, but you think it's contribution, you go, whoa, something's off in the culture here. So it's a really good cultural assessment as well. So you can definitely have a primary and then a secondary, and even one of my favorite words, a tertiary. Yeah. The reason why I ask that is because I can see six in me. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll relate. Most people relate to either yeah. all of them yeah. in different phases in life or different yes. areas in life. Yeah. And, or they relate to five or six. Like you'll, you'll hear yeah. that a ton. Yeah. So, so what, so what is the difference between significance in an world impact? So world impact that is on a global scale, but significance is for that individual. Exactly right. Significance is the person has a need. So one example is Rupert Murdoch. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, I write in the book, you know, when his father passed away, Rupert was only 22 years old and he came back to Australia, uh, to Melbourne and he, he took over his father's newspaper. But there was this deal where when he was growing up, his father was really well known, very like a celebrity in the journalism, you know, media space locally in their little area in Australia. And Rupert had this, you know, this vision. He said, you know what I need to be more I need to be special. I want to prove that I actually have the chops and I know what I'm going to do. So he came over and he started expanding very quickly. One of the traits actually in significance drive is usually there's a need to expand what one's doing. So Rupert Murdoch went from one area in Australia to all of Australia to the UK, America, and he went obviously worldwide now with the news group. One of my other favorites. He's doing well for himself, yeah. Yeah, he's doing okay. See, and that's what's funny is like significance drive, nobody wants to have it because it sounds in a way bad, right? Like, oh, you're selfish. But the truth is just because you maybe grew up insignificant or poor or getting beat up on or bullied or something, sometimes the bullies come up and create the greatest enterprises and they – out of the fuel, the anger. Henry Rollins was doing an interview recently. I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast. You know, Henry Rollins, pretty famous musician. And he said, you know, to this day, revenge fuels me. Like, I just get so mad at the people that said I couldn't do it that I just every day I stand up and I succeed every day to show them. And, and you know, he said, well, who are you talking about? And he said, I don't know. You know, they. Because nowadays it's not a particular person, but no. the anger still fuels him. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, before we dive into things, one of the ones that interests me is the world impact one. Because I get a lot of m my clients that talk about legacy and wanting to leave something um, to be remembered by. So can we delve into that a little bit more, please? So in the world impact drive, the difference between significance and world impact is the world impact, it's about leaving a legacy, not really about your name, though. It's about the dent that you made. It's more about the dent, not about the person making it. So when you talk to, and regardless of your opinions, uh, uh, especially in the media lately of Elon Musk, right, you have to admit that a guy like Musk is a massive visionary. I mean, if he only wanted to revolutionize car travel <laughs> and that's all he wanted to do or he only wanted to revolutionize space or he only wanted to revolutionize – he's doing so much with the boring company. He, he has a whole dream to, to have an underground uh, traveling system throughout the world. It, it's, it's silly. It's awesome. But when you talk to Musk, one, one of my favorite excerpts is when they said, why would you do SpaceX? Like why do you need to go to space? And he said this, Tesla is amazing because – Going from gas and different petroleum sources to electric cars, right, to really shift our fueling system is inevitable. At some point, one way or another, long or short, we're going to figure it out, right? That's where we have to go as humanity. So he said changing our fuel system is inevitable. Space colonization is not inevitable. And he said that's why I'm taking my profits I get from from Tesla and I'm putting them back into things like SpaceX and things like the Boring Company. He want part of the the world impact drive is the desire to make a shift that wasn't necessarily inevitable in the world, and that's the biggest one probably. So when you look at space exploration, he says, "Man, if I don't do this, it might happen, but it might not happen." And I want to be known as a person who who changed the trajectory of the spaceship that we call Earth. I want to be that person. And you lose sight sometimes. Here's the danger too. You can lose sight of, if you're really a world impact driver guy, gal, person, you can lose sight of the people involved sometimes. 
So it's possible that you could sacrifice the people. Like you might not care and you, but you're included in that. If you're the captain of the ship, you might sacrifice yourself too. You might not take care of your own uh, health. You might not care about health insurance plans for you and everybody. It's like, yeah, 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 it's important, but you're not thinking about that. You're, it's not a employee driven organization. You're not even really trying to to think about the people that you're impacting. You know, the people that drive these new Teslas that get to save money and they they get to send their kids to college because they didn't spend so much money on gas or whatever it is. They're not thinking about that. Instead, they're just thinking about the future. So the risk is you're living in the future and you might sacrifice the people or the now around you if it's unhealthy, if it's too intense. But the benefit is the motivation is ceaseless. You will never have to stop and look around for motivation. These are the people that have no problem working 20 hours a day, seven days a week because they're driven by this passion of what they're accomplishing in the world. Yeah. Wow. And and people can go and do this quiz, the Firebox quiz, uh, on your website to find out their their core drives, yeah? Yep, yeah, fireboxbook.com, and the book is available there. And then also, the if you buy the book there, just if you want, it's available for sale. Um, there's also a $1,000 training where I teach in depth. It's not a webinar where I sell stuff. It's just a training. <laughs> I always like to say that. <laughs> but it's just a, a deep dive uh, video training of me teaching the Firebox principles more in depth. And that's a free bonus when you get the book. And then the quiz okay. is also completely free. You can take that whether you buy the book or not. Um, and it's at fireboxbook.com. Well, I highly, I know for a fact that once we have finished this interview, I am darting over there and filling it up. So I highly recommend everyone else does that who listens to the show because that was fascinating. So just before we jump over to the second part of the show, I wanted to tell you about this fantastic workshop that uh, someone who you might have already heard on the podcast. In fact, he's the only guy that's been on the show twice and interviewed. It is the presentation genius himself. Dr. Simon Raybould. Now, Simon is running, and he only does this once a year, he is running a live training course in Newcastle-Pontine in March 2019. And you use the discount code GeniusIQ, then you will get £50 off the ticket price. All you need to do is go to presentationgenius.eventbrite.co.uk and, you know, take action. Now, I have done Simon's training he is my go-to guy for any presentation training, any skills that I need to develop in how to do that. And if you are looking to be able to make awesome presentations, pitches, oral reports, addresses to the board, or just hit that job interview out the park, I'd highly recommend this workshop. Remember, Genius IQ at presentationgenius.eventbrite.co.uk and get £50 off. So act now. What we are going to do now, Matt, is we are now going to jump over and we are going to do the hot seat round where I get to ask you a set of questions I ask every guest who appears on the show. So are you ready? I can hardly wait. <laughs> I can practically <laughs> feel the anticipation. <laughs> okay. Question number one is, on average, how much time a week do you dedicate to self-development? That's body, mind, and spirit. If I had to wager a guess, because I don't have that necessarily scheduled, all of it, yeah, probably seven hours, eight hours, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Do you have a specific one that you tend to focus on? Um, is do you like? Is it reading, or do you do you know meditation, or do you have any specific that you tend to focus on more than more than others? Maybe at the minute. Right now, and it's funny you said at the minute, right now, the my major focus is about a vision, mission, and, and goals for my family. So most of my personal development is spent sitting with my wife and we'll talk and we'll pray about where who we are as a family and what we're doing moving forward, where our son fits in. I, you know, I, I look at family development as standing shoulder to shoulder, looking out at the world saying, what are we here to do? Rather than just saying, how do we communicate with each other better? We've been going through that for 10 years. But now it's time to develop continually. So I'm doing a lot of marriage and family development at the moment. I've spent many years doing personal development on me, and I, I still do that. Uh, the other way I do personal development is more professional personal. So I do speaker training. I've been doing a lot of TV, uh, media training, radio training. When we got our podcast syndicated on AMFM radio, there's a lot of host training, things like that. 
Okay, brilliant. Excellent. Okay, question number two. What book has made the biggest impact to your self-development or personal growth and why? Two books. Okay. The first book is the Bible. Okay. And that's 66 books, but that's for me, uh, having, <laughs> having, having a faith background has been huge. So I okay. look to there for the principles that I'm living my life by okay. financial principles, marriage principles, parent, I mean, everything it's in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so if you have that background, I highly suggest if you don't have that faith background, I highly suggest it. Don't throw the baby out with the proverbial bathwater. If you get some story that you're not sure about, there mm. are so many life principles throughout that just so apply. Many of the great books in personal development were taken as principles that are biblical principles, like As a Man Thinketh, The Richest Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich. All of those came from that source. So I love those. Yeah. Um, and then the second book would actually have to be uh, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. Think and Grow Rich. And was that, apart from the Bible, was that the first book that you, because I know an awful lot of people who are going into that life coaching route um, at least the ones that I've spoken to, Think and Grow Rich was one of the first ones they read. Um, if not that, it was one of Tony Robinson's books or programs. Um, it was. Could, it was. <laughs> yeah, it's ironic. It's one of those books. It's the first one I bought when I started to go down this route. I went, no, I'm going to buy that one. That's the one I need to read. Well, funny story. So I'm 18 and my my real first mentor before I met Tony was a man named Ed, phenomenal man. Uh, he, he and his brother ran a mortgage and real estate business. And I went to work for them straight out of Sizzler Steakhouse. I was working there in high school. And then his first gift within about three or four weeks was the book Think and Grow Rich. And he had stapled on the back page a $100 bill. And he wrote a thing that said, you know, hey, Matthew, you know, good luck with everything you're doing. And I believe in you, something to that effect. And I took that book home and I was like, all right, as soon as I read the book, I'm going to take that $100 bill and I'm going to invest it. I made this whole game out of it, right? And I took the book and I put it on my shelf with all the rest of my shelf help and I didn't read it. And every, I mean, for months, I, I moved from my apartment to my first house at 19 and I packed the book in a box and I thought, oh, I can't wait to read this. I got to the new place. I unpacked it said, I can't wait to read this. I didn't read that for seven years. It wasn't until I was on the verge of losing everything, chasing my dream of being a coach, and I was out of money, literally. I went from a millionaire to bankrupt, and then I'm looking through my last stuff in my storage unit, and I found, true story, that book, and I remembered that I had the $100 bill stapled to the back, and I took it, and I used it to buy food. And that was one of the moments that changed my life forever, because I said, never again. I... I'm not doing this ever again. So that book, not just the principles, but because of the metaphor it represented in my life, changed everything. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Question number three is what is um, what app makes the biggest impact to your business or life? So this is a software app. Gosh. Okay. So this is silly, but iCal, the calendar, <laughs> changed everything for me. And now, now I could say it was like I have Dropbox. I, I love that. We have all these different things. But I want to tell you the, the quick story about the calendar. So my wife and I, one of the biggest conflicts in our marriage years ago was communication and scheduling things. So I would talk to someone and say, oh, yeah, we were going to get together with this couple for dinner or I have a, a client that I need to schedule on here. And then she wanted to do something with our son's school and and whatever it was. And I was out at the office, so I wasn't able to I'm not going to text her a caller with every single minor decision. And we were going crazy and it became a big problem because essentially the feeling was, hey, you don't care about me enough to check with me before you schedule all your time away. So. We, we went on iCal and we now share and sync the exact same calendar and I have certain times and they blocked off and she knows when I'm podcast recording. She knows when I'm doing this. I know when she's doing things and that's just brilliant. And now whenever I add something, I say, hey, check with this couple for dinner and she adds that on a Tuesday night and then I look and go, oh, cool. Tuesday night's booked with family stuff. And then when I talk to you and you say, hey, how about Tuesday? I go, gee whiz, how about Wednesday? So using a calendar app and communicating with family members, significant others. That was why it was so important. It's so ironic because I have just recently had that conversation with my wife and my two boys to try and to try and balance. They know when I'm doing stuff and I know with them because they start things are starting to get busier in just general life. And it's one of those things where you just say, look, we'll just share a calendar and we'll know exactly what's going on. So it's yeah, so can, simple, but yeah, it's so powerful. It is. Yeah. And it's the things that Sometimes they're so simple that you don't necessarily introduce. 
because they're so simple. It's like, oh, that's a genius idea. So yes, that's that's so close to home. It's unreal. <laughs> it's Ch- change my life. Change my life. I mean, like we stopped fighting over miscommunication. Ninety five percent of our conflict was solved by me getting a notification on my phone while I'm out yes. that she booked dinner with someone or she got a yeah. notification that I booked a coaching call for that morning. So she knows that that's not open. Like yeah. it's so simple, but it changed everything. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> Highly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. So do I. So do I. Okay. Question number four is what's your biggest business mistake and what did it teach you? My biggest business mistake was not having a transition plan to go from one business to a new business I was passionate about. So in 2006, I was doing real estate. I was making about half a million dollars a year. I had $5 million in property and I was living the good life. When I went and decided to become a quote life coach end quote and a speaker and do seminars and now I've spoken thousands of people all around the world. I love doing it, but it took two years to break out. My mistake was, and I don't know that I would change it just to clarify. I don't know that I would change it going back because, you know, it made me who I am. And, and I really believe that. But as a mistake, I went bankrupt after being a millionaire. And the reason I did is because I quit one business because I said, I'm not passionate anymore. So I just stopped. I stopped like cold turkey. I quit it. I closed the office down mid lease. I was stupid. It wasn't the smartest thing to do. Then I just jumped full fledged into life coaching and speaking, even though I didn't really have training yet in how to do it. I didn't have a mentor and how to do it. I just thought, oh, Tony does seminars. I'm going to put on a seminar. So it, it was a learning curve that was really hard. So for two years, as I learned my new trade and my skill and my craft, I didn't have my other business to provide livelihood for. So I basically sucked away the fortune and then I went in the hole. And then it took two years to finally have my big break when I, I broke out as a speaker in Australia um, and finally had the moment when you know people actually paid me for what I did. <laughs> Yeah. So I would have trans- I would have dovetailed those <laughs> a little better and maybe quit <laughs> quit doing real estate 2 years later. Yeah. But it also shows how powerful a passion was behind you to have to have that thought process of going, "No, I'm stopping this. I'm doing that." It, it's exciting and it's dangerous. Yeah. It's, oh, it's yeah, exciting it's, to have that much passion, but it, it, you need to learn how to control it too. So yeah. advice I give to new people, new entrepreneurs all the time is don't abandon, like keep your job. If you hate your job at, you know, the factory, you're still making 32 grand a year. Keep it, work on this thing every night, every weekend until you drop, like just do it. Mm-hmm. And once you start replacing your income, then quit and go, no problem. I don't need to anymore. Yeah. It's such a bad place to be when you, when you take your passion and make it a necessity for survival, yeah. it's, it's just a dangerous formula is all. So I, oh, I, I that agree, was my yeah. mistake that I would learn to watch from. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that one. Okay. What are the next questions? What are the challenges in harmonizing work and life and how do you manage them? And you can't say I Cal. Oh, cause that's the, <laughs> cause that is the problem. Um, <laughs> You know, I I would say part of the harmonization uh, is getting rhythms in life and not separating things out. So I've learned one of the the tools I use is this mindset of compartmentalization. And I talk about it on my podcast pretty – like I had a really – a whole episode just on compartmentalization. How do you take – large and small chunks of time and focus and effort and cut off other things. So as an entrepreneur, the biggest problem with work-life balance, which is such an illusion, it's not work-life balance. Balance is the stupidest thing you can do. Rather, it's about going intensely compartmentalized for short stints of time. Take three hours from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. if you're one of these people or from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. or or the afternoon and say, I'm going to spend two hours, three hours just writing my book, working on this, making this project happen. And then you pour everything into it. And then when you're done with that time, close it off, put it away. Don't think about it while you're having dinner with your family. Don't think about it when you're not going to the gym because you're too busy. It's like you got to cut it off and go exercise. And when you're exercising, you're all in. You know, it's like, let me let me go exercise and let me go with my stinky clothes and go to the grocery store and get my fresh fruits and veggies. And like, you know, let me like do this whole fit lifestyle for two hours, three hours. And then when you're done with that, veg and relax and go play with the family. So it's about going from section to section, not balancing. That's my two cents. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I put harmonizing in rather than balancing, although everyone oh. generally <laughs> describes it by 
balance. I heard I heard balancing in my head when you said harmonizing. How funny is that? All right. Well, the thing is, it's blend. It, for me, it was blend. It's about blending because there's no sharp edge. It's very. It, but but I like the way that you described the blocking out and and segmenting, because then you can be focused on one thing and very driven on that and then move into the next thing. So even now it's still it's well the way I still look at it is I still see it as harmonizing but I don't see it as that the seesaw thing because I think is is when you're doing balancing everyone's just going no no I need to do 50% at home and 50% at work and it doesn't you know life isn't that orderly. Yep, I I completely agree. Completely agree. Like right now we're podcasting and as soon as we finish, uh, in, in the next like however long it's going to be, then I'm going to go on. And I'm going to record some episodes for myself for my show. And like this is the time when my son's at school, I'm in my office, my wife has her thing going on, and I got hours blocked. My microphone's already on, my headset's already on, the laptop's already. Ch- you know what I mean? Like I'm already in that zone, so it's it's like 50% easier. The setup is, is doubled or tripled, so like you don't have a new setup and new teardown. It's all finished, and I go bam, 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 get it all done. I'll do Friday's episode. I'll do Tuesday's episode. And then when I'm done with it, I won't touch podcasting again until like four or five days from now. And yeah. then I'll jump in and do something different, right? So yeah. so it's always that way. Uh, you know, like when my that, son yeah. comes home from school, I'm going to go play in the snow with him and we're going to sled down the hill by our house. And that's what we're doing. And you can't stop me. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Question number six. What advice would you give an entrepreneur that you wish you had known starting out? Gosh, I feel like we've already kind of talked about that in some ways. Um, you know there's some obvious things like, of course, you know, like you start with the end in mind. Um, the, if I've really just stopped and said, okay, like you're thinking a brand new entrepreneur, what do you need to know? What do you need to do? I would say, believe in yourself sooner, believe in yourself sooner, see your current, (laughs) how do I say this? Right. See your current self through the lens of your future self. So if you know where you're going and you know what you want to achieve, like take a mental trip, take a visualization out to the future, see your future self, see the successful you looking back at the choices you made and then tell yourself, hey, this is who I'm becoming. This is the impact I'm making. So I know because sometimes it's hard to look around, you know, a 400 square foot studio apartment or look around your mom's basement and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to be someone. But like that's what you have to do. Uh, Gary, Gary V does that real well. Gary Vaynerchuk, if you follow yeah. like his Instagram or something, you know, he's always, he's speaking that, that, that heartbeat of, Hey man, believe in yourself before anyone else does. Yes. Everyone who's done something great had that in common. And yeah. I would say, start with how great you really are, not yeah. false pride, just no. value and worth in who you are. And if yeah. you believe you're someone strong and capable, then don't just sit there and go, I have self-esteem. I have a participation trophy. no. Get out there and now prove it. Go do something. Make something happen because you're so darn great. I love that. Okay. How about that? Yeah, great. All right. Question number seven is what is your definition of success? Harmonizing areas in life. Let's use your term. I mean, that's really all it is, isn't it? It's, you know, being able to have freedom and being able to have joy and legacy in the different areas in life. You know, what? When um, there's always trouble and trials, but when one area suffers, um, you got to devote time to that. And, you know, when I made a lot of money at 24, 25 years old, I didn't feel successful because I, I didn't have a, a great relationship. My health was going downhill because I was so stressed out and I wasn't successful. I feel much more successful now. I also make more money now, but th- I could make less money and I feel more successful. No, that's bro. Okay. And number eight is, do you have any daily routines or rituals that make a huge impact to your day? Well, I I mentioned earlier about, you know, taking the time with my wife or taking the time to, to read the Bible or to pray. So what I would say is no matter, I I have something that we do in our church called take 15 and it's just a simple concept is take 15 minutes a day and devote it to God. So again, whoever's listening from whatever background, understand this is a principle you can use in your life. So if, if you have a different faith background or atheist or, or meditative or whatever it is, take 15 minutes and, and take the best 15 minutes, not the last 15 minutes. Take the best 15 minutes. So is that first thing in the morning? Maybe. That's the first, but it might not be the best. When you are on fire, when you're charged up, when you're like, this is the prime time of my day, Carve out 15 minutes to stop 
and do something, whether it's meditation, whether it's prayer, whether it's reading something, whether it's journaling, uh, whatever the thing is for you. For me, it's I read 15 minutes of scripture and then I pray and I say, God, show me what I show me a principle in this that I need today. Yeah. Okay. And that's really good because so when you're doing that, you're then helping, I guess, from from a spiritual point of view, you're wanting God to present, but also you're opening yourself up to the possibilities of what am I what am I going to listen to? What am I going to see from that from that scripture? Yes. And, and you're also reorienting yourself in your day. So a lot of people like that first thing in the morning. I like to do that when I can. But the truth is, most days, it doesn't work that way. I jump up, I'm taking my son to school one morning, and then I got this and then a phone call. And before you know it, you're already into the day. So not every day that's possible. Yeah. So maybe when things calm down, it's lunchtime, I go, you know what, I'm going to take it. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to grab the Bible or I'm going to grab my favorite book or, or whatever you're doing and just take a moment to reorient yourself to who you are and what you're wanting to achieve this day. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. So the last question is the life lesson question. Um, oh, I can't wait. This is the one are... I've been waiting for. The lottery <laughs> question. <laughs> so these are lessons that I've learned from recovering from my illness and starting a business and just sort of sitting down and thinking, what have I learned? And they are our final conversational piece. So pick a number between 1 and 50, please, Matt. Jeff, this is easy. It's 37. Okay, 37 is... What's behind the door? Interesting <laughs> enough. Supporting others is rewarding. Ooh. Um, so this stems from when I first... When I first sort of got... When I was going through my life experiences and when I was younger, it was... I'm... I'm kind of uh, disappointed to say, but it was very selfish and very focused just on me. But then when I went through my illness and I came out the other, the other side and I realized that for whatever reason I went through my illness and it was despite the downs, it was one of the best learning experiences I'd ever had when I came out the other side. And it empowered me that the best gift in this world is to help people to um to be the best version of themselves um cliche as that may be but that's 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 my ultimate driver um now i know you've obviously had that experience when you've come out and you've done you know you, you wanted to be the life coach in in commas but it's it's just that it's it is and it doesn't have to be from a life coaching point of view but just supporting others is an amazing gift that you can not only give them, but also yourself. And I'm just wondering what you thought about that. Well, I'll even bring maybe uh, an alternate perspective as well to add to that too. So one of the, the reason why, and so a lot of what I study is, and we teach is neuro-linguistic program. We have NLP seminars and trainings in the US. Um, and one of the things we study kind of in that psychological profession is, is inward versus outward focus. And two things are true. So there's different states, different emotional states you can be in. And each state has a prominent internal or external focus. Depression has an internal focus. So the only way one can be truly depressed is always about a personal uh, inward focused reaction. So even if you're looking at your situation in life or how someone else acted, in order to feel depressed about that, what you have to do is take what they did or take what happened and then reflect inside and say, what does that mean about me? How do I feel about that? And when someone stays in that loop of internal focus over and over again with something negative or something that's sad, eventually depression is the state that will take over. So if you want to get out of depression, if that's something that you might struggle with, you have to have an external focus. If you're looking at the external, you cannot be depressed. Now you could be sad for someone else in a bad situation. You could have compassion or pity or empathy right? You could, but most likely you'll do something about it. If someone does something negative to you, if you're in the external, you'll feel angry. Hey, what are you doing? But if you take it internal and you stay there too long, that anger will turn into something like depression. And God forbid, if it keeps going, it turns into even suicidal. And, and we go down that very, very negative and permanent solution road to a temporary problem. So, so, th so that's my, my take too on serving others. If you want to change your state and get happy, that's the whole point of this, and you want to be more joyful, uh, joy and happiness are – those two both have a, a predominant external focus. 
when I, so when I'm with my son, if I think about how he makes me feel, I'll be okay. But if I look at him and wa- I, I love watching movies with him and someone farts and he cracks up and he just can't stop laughing and he says, rewind it, rewind it. And I don't even watch the movie. That doesn't bring me joy. I watch him and I watch him just, just roll on the floor laughing. And that's the time I feel the most joyful, if that makes sense. So, um, so external focus brings more joy and serving other people, supporting other people, it, it make it externally focused. Don't make it what does it mean about me? Make it what does it mean about them? What do they need? And if you think about the other person, you can't help but feel happier. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally yeah. agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we are at the final part of the show. So Matt, how do we find out more about you? Where can we get hold of the book? You know, tell us how we can listen to the podcast um the floor is now yours sir wow thank you so much that's so many great great invitations so let me make it real simple so my name is matt browning i'm sure it'll be in the show notes b-r-a-u-n-i-n-g browning and you can find my podcast all over it's on itunes stitcher spotify wherever you google play you go um, one of the websites is mattbrawningpodcast.com. You can go there, and there's buttons for any platform you use, and that's free. It's always free. There's no paywall or anything. We have a bunch of great episodes. I did a couple recent episodes on five hacks to get out of procrastination, what to do to overcome overwhelm. Uh, I do travel hacks. Uh, we do some great interviews. I've had you know a four-time Olympian on who wrote um, uh, forward for my book. I've had uh, veterans on, great entrepreneurs. So that's a lot of fun. So that's the podcast. And then if you go to fireboxbook.com, fireboxbook.com, you can take the quiz for free. You can pick up the hardcover copy of the book. Uh, and then if you pick up a hardcover copy of the book, you can also put your receipt details in the same website and get that $1,000 training totally free where I do a, a deep dive teaching on the book itself. So quiz is free. That's right there. The book's available right there. And then, hey, if you're just a, uh, if you just want to hang out on social media and see what's going on in life, uh, follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you're on. I'm at Matt Browning, and I do some regular posts about my family, about business, uh, memes, and inspirations, and all that kind of thing. So, love to see you on social media. Hit me up there too, at Matt Browning. Brilliant. Matt, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been an absolute privilege having you on the show. Uh, it just leaves me to say, wishing you the greatest success. I really appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks so much. Great to meet you, my friend. So firstly, just let me say a massive thank you to all of you who've taken the time to listen to the show. And for those of you who are sending me emails to give me feedback about the show, what you like, what you'd like to see, I am extremely grateful to you all. I would be really grateful as well if you have time and the inclination to jump over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the show as it really does help me stay on my mission which is to help people create and live an exceptional life. Finally, you can get hold of these podcast show on many different platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, all of those ones that you probably listen to regularly. Um, all you need to do is hit subscribe and get them straight to your phone which makes life so much easier so just finally wishing you an amazing week take care and don't forget to keep pursuing the exceptional